Our text this morning is from Jude, verses 17 through 23. You'll find that on page 1027 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we uh, are following along with Jude, the brother of Jesus, and he is bringing it in for a landing. And actually, despite where we've been, it's a smooth landing. So here we go. Um, Before I pray for us and the sermon, let's do a quick review. So where have we come? What have we learned so far? If we remember, Jude wrote this letter to this particular church. He was intending to continue their Christian education, but he had to go back to the fundamentals. Now, uh, going back to the fundamentals is not um, necessarily a bad thing. If you ever played sports, uh, sometimes the coach will have a practice. Well, what does he do? He goes back to the fundamentals. Uh, But the unfortunate thing is there was a setback in this church due to false teaching. So Jude, intending to continue their Christian education, had to come back to the fundamentals of the gospel. And so as we have been learning about the original meaning of this text and applying it to our lives, here's some things that we have learned for ourselves. First, we're in a fight for our faith. Now, the fight that we fight for our faith, a lot of Fs in that sentence. Um, It's not so much open conflict in the church as it probably was back then. We fight this fight in our homes and in our hearts. We, uh, the idea is if there is false teaching in this church, we bring it with us. And so what do we need? What do we need in the reality that we're in this battle for truth? We need a constant flow of the gospel in and out of our lives. And where do we get that? Scripture. We need the scripture in our lives. And as we are in this fight, as we go through scripture, we learn that the Bible is all about Jesus. He's the source, he's the key to truth. So it's not just about checking the box of, okay, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading. We need to dig into the meaning of scripture. We need to dig into the meaning of scripture. And as we read the Bible, as we let the gospel flow into our lives, we'll be reminded that we need to submit our lives to the truth of Jesus. Why? Because he is the eternal judge and our savior. That's who Jesus is. And as we are reminded and learn that that's who Jesus is, we'll learn we need to submit to that. We then got into the idea that there is confusion at times in our faith, and sometimes that confusion is legitimate because we're dealing with complex spiritual issues. At other times, it's illegitimate. We are creating that confusion ourselves. And so as we are reminded again and again that Jesus is judge and savior, that we have a place in God's will, in God's authority. And we're not in charge of our lives, our thoughts, our decisions. And that can be inconvenient, sometimes objectionable to our sinful selves. But we have to remember 
that Jesus has exclusive rights. Jesus has exclusive rights over our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Last week, of course, Jude charged ahead with his weirdness using Enoch, right? Okay, so he, he talked about Enoch and he used a, a, a prophecy from, from the book of Enoch and that was uh, uh, to help us perk up our ears. And for those who are not followers of Christ, it's a, it's a warning that, that Jesus is judge and he will judge the ungodly. What's the definition of ungodly? Anything that rejects the authority of Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a sad truth, but it's the truth. And then we're also reminded as those who may have already given our lives to Christ, we have a responsibility. The responsibility, we have a need, a need to regularly, honestly, sometimes intensely self-examine ourselves in the light of scripture. That's where we've come so far. That's where Jude, that's the path that Jude has taken us on. And so today, Thankfully, there's no weirdness, okay? We just have three simple commands on how our lives should look as we contend for the faith in our lives. Let me pray for us and we'll take a look. Lord, thank you so much for Jude. Thank you for whatever was going on in his heart and his mind and his life to be um, uh, as, as what we call weird as he was. He has in some ways drawn attention to things that no other way or person could have. And so, Lord, I pray that these things, that we need the gospel, we need Jesus, we need to understand who Jesus is, we need to submit our lives to that truth, that we need our judge and we need our savior, that these things would sink deep into our hearts. I pray this morning that as we look at how we can contend, as Jude closes his letter, summarizes what he's trying to say, that it would be impactful for me, for them, for those who are here, those listening online, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Julie and I, we're in our 16th year of marriage, and um, uh, we've both uh, under ice cream. There it is. She gets ice cream every time I say her name. Um, I won't say it again, so you can just get one serving. Um, <laughs> through counseling and other things, we've learned one, one a little tool that we have, and we use it inconsistently, but one thing that we know when we use it, and it works for us, is called pre-communication. All right, so when we're about to go on a vacation, we're about to have family in the house for a while, we're about to undertake a big event, we try to pre-communicate about it. So things like this, it helps us kind of uh, list out what, uh, the question is, what would a successful vacation look like for you? We answer that question before we even go on it. Helps us list out what we'd like to see, it helps us weed out unrealistic expectations. So when I say, I'd love to go fishing all day, every day, and never see you guys ever, she says, that's not gonna work, right? That's not gonna work. Um, or we, we ask the question, well, last time we tried to relax, what went wrong? We think, oh, right, we brought the kids. That's right. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, kids. Um, but listen, what does that do? It helps us avoid unmet, unsaid expectations. And so when we do that pre-communication, almost always the, the time that we experience, it's not always perfect, but it is, it's better, right? Jude is doing some post pre-communication in this passage. So pre-communication, he's helping set expectations for us in the first part of this passage as he closes the letter. So let's take a look at verses 17 through 19 together and look for his pre-communication. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. He's saying, remember, remember predictions that were made. And all this talk that he's been doing on false teaching and the ramifications of it and what we need to be aware of, he comes back to this moment to say, listen, this is not something that should surprise us. Both Jesus and the apostles spoke of this type of thing. Jesus himself in John 15 says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated, uh, it hated me before it hated you. Jesus, Jesus was helping the disciples understand it's not going to be all roses and, and good stuff. It's going to be hard. There's going to be hate coming your direction because of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, Paul at the end of his ministry says it this way. It's a mouthful. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, or about halfway there, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's a quite a full list of things we should expect. And so the existence of false teaching in our day-to-day lives as we read the news, as we watch television, as we talk with friends, The fact that not everything we hear, everything that comes our way is exactly true and in line with God's plan and God's authority, that should not be a surprise to us. And as we allow these types of things into our lives and our community, look at verse 19, what does it do? It causes division. So we should not be surprised. Oh, somebody told me something that was false. Oh, I believe something that was false. We should expect it. It's the way things were, it's the way things are, it's the way things will be. And so when we expect the correct things, we can be prepared. And so this is not an Eeyore moment. Well, I guess it's always just going to be false teaching. No, this is a moment of preparation. Jude is calling our attention, reminding us, setting expectations to let us know, here's how you can be prepared for this. And so we go the next set of verses which, in which he describes what it looks like to engage the Christian life. Because we should expect, because we should expect this assault of false teaching, we should engage the Christian life as a, as a way of defending against these untruths. Look at verses 20 through 22. The beginning of verse 20 gives the summary. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, in your most holy faith. So this is the, the idea, the general idea. We're gonna, the, the defense against this is building yourself up. And, and this idea, I love the word here, it's, it's this consistent, continued, intentional process of, of constructing something. It's not a once and done. It's not something that happened when you were saved and now you don't have to worry about it. It's this ongoing building project to build up the mass of your faith, the bulk of your belief. And so how do we build? He gives us three ways that we can build. First, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. This is the idea, we've we've talked about this already just last week, submissive prayer. What is prayer other than asking God in need? Asking God in need, I need this. I need you. I need you, Lord. 
It's praying, it's that examining we talked about, but it's also asking God and the Spirit to convict and comfort us and for our needs. And so you might be saying, well, Ransom, how do I pray in the Spirit? And here's the answer, just pray, just pray. In Romans 8, here's how Paul describes it. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we pray to God in our need. That's all we have to do. It's not a, it's not a, a, a formula where God's like, okay, I, the, the an acronym is ACTS. I, we got the adoration, very good. Oh, Steve missed confession. The whole prayer's garbage. That's not how it works. We pray in need and the spirit carries what we say and interprets it to God. We need Jesus in everything. We need him. And so we pray to him. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So as we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, we're praying in need, and we're also doing this thing, keeping ourselves in the love of God. This phrase here is a two-way street. It's receiving and giving love. Receiving and giving love. It's not about the fact that maybe you could lose it if you do the wrong thing. No, there, there's this idea that God has love for us, first of all. And we receive that love, how? We hear about it. <laughs> That's how we receive God's love. We're not jumping through hoops. God is telling us he loves us. And so when I read the scripture, the the story of God's love for his people, what do I hear? I hear, first of all, Ransom, you're a complete mess, and I love you. That's what I hear. That's what we should hear as we engage the scriptures. And then as I pray in the Holy Spirit, as I read the scriptures themselves, the, the Holy Spirit transcribes that message on my heart, and I begin to believe it by the power of the Spirit. And the result of that overwhelming gracious love as we give love in return as we remain conscience conscious of God's love for us we love him in return I was reading a book this week unrelated to the sermon but the, the person wrote it's it's about seeing God through the eyes with which he sees us think about that how does God see us with love through the eyes of Jesus and as we understand his love for us we can see him right back with those same eyes and so as the journey through scripture continues as we pray to God in need, what's happening? We're developing a mutual love with Jesus Christ. That's what keeping ourselves in the love of God means. Lastly, he tells us that we are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We've talked about this a lot in Jude, so I don't want to belabor this point, but listen, we myself included, we hold on to so many false hopes. We hold on to so many false hopes in our life. And the reality is, how do you know it's a false hope? Well, here's the deal. We only have one. (laughs) The eternity that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. And so if our life is being built on anything other than Jesus and his mercy, or as it describes in Revelation, the wiping away of tears, the end of all sin, the end of rebellion against our loving creator, that's our only hope in this life. We have no other. 
And so what is the process of building? What's the process? As we expect the assault on truth in our lives and we engage the Christian life as a defense, what are we doing? We're praying because we need Jesus. We're in the scripture to learn about his love and returning that love naturally to him as we learn about it. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for one thing, the mercy that comes when Jesus Christ returns. That's our best defense. And so what is building? Let's put it simply. Building up our faith is admitting again and again and again and again and again, I need Jesus and going to him. Verse 22 reminds us as well that needing of Jesus doesn't end at I. The Christian life is in a cul-de-sac. Look at verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. We are called church, not just to be individual Christians who love Jesus on our own, who engage the Christian life on our own, as if it's about just this quiet holiness that I have and that's what's gonna sustain me. No, we're to engage, we're to build, we're to pray, we're to, to keep in the love, we're to wait together arm in arm as a church. It's about we need Jesus, not just I need Jesus. It's easy as Western Christians to think about everything in the singular, okay? It's about me and my identity and my individuality. But listen to this. Now, I grew up uh, independent Baptist, uh, and so this verse was used for a lot of different things to scare children not to do things your parents didn't want you to do. But listen to this, 1 Corinthians 6. I'm gonna read this and listen and think if you've heard this used in the individual way before. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You can think of all the ways that that verse was used for just individuals. But how does it change the meaning when you understand that every single one of those yous is plural? It's not, uh, it's not you have been bought with a price. You southerners should understand y'all been bought with a price. Together, we have been bought with a price together. The togetherness of Christianity is imperative to the defense, to engaging, to contending. We're to hold one another up. We're going to doubt, all of us, in some way. And what is Jude telling us to do? Together, have mercy on one another. We have a responsibility in our discipleship to one another, but it goes further than that. It goes further than that. I love how throughout this series, <laughs> we've joked about it a lot. There's been a lot about hell and, and ungodliness and, and judgment, and so that can be a little sweaty, okay? Let's be honest, it can be a little sweaty. But now we get to the idea, the, the, the motive behind why Jude's talking about such difficult things. He has an urgency for evangelism. An urgency for evangelism. And he's calling the church into an urgency for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It says this in 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. There is a group of people who are at more danger than us from false teaching, and it's the lost, because they believe it wholeheartedly. The lost 
believe wrong things about Jesus. They don't understand that yes, he's judged, but also yes, he's their only hope for salvation. And so the verbiage here, snatching out of the fire, it's desperate, it's urgent. And so think about this. How fast would you move if you, a child you knew or any child fell into a fire? You'd move quickly. Or how fast would you move if you dropped something of value into a fire? You would go after it very quickly, risking burning of your hand. And so Jude is calling this church, he's calling us to share the gospel with this kind of urgency. And so now we see that all of his speaking did not, on hell and judgment did not come from a condemning spirit looking down his nose. We see that his love for the salvation of the lost, he sees it as one of the most pressing matters the church should be concerned with. This is a book of fundamentals. Here's what the gospel is, here's what it means for you, and here's what it means for the world. So the battle that we're called into church is really not us and them. The battle, we're, the battle we're called to fight is a battle of kindness and compassion and mercy for the souls of the lost. We're called to it. It's not an option. It's an essential piece of what it means to be a church, what it means to be y'all. We've been resourcing you throughout this um, sermon series with Bible reading plans and study guides and things like that. The last thing we'd like to provide as a church to ourselves to help us contend is this summer, um, the dates will be coming out soon, we're gonna provide a two-part evangelism training. And so if you feel like, man, I am inadequate to the task of snatching out of the fire, I, I, am, I have not done this well, we want to walk with you through that, and Steve will be providing uh, the information on that in the next couple of weeks, but consider coming to that. It's not just about us and our spiritual health. There is a group of people who are condemned, who are ungodly because they do not believe in Jesus Christ, and they need to hear the gospel. And where are they going to hear it but from us? So Jude sums it up in this way, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Here's what he is saying. He's saying, yes, we're called to mercy. We're called to mercy with boundaries. We're called to evangelize without being, without being a detriment to the Christian life, but we're also called to the Christian life without it being a detriment to evangelism. Do you see the balance? It's a beautiful balance. And so as we close this series out, let's ask the question, what is contending? Contending is fighting for the truth as individuals in our lives and in our homes. It's fighting for the truth as a church together. And it's fighting for the truth in the world as well. And what's the truth we're fighting for? That the only hope of salvation is the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the grace, the mercy, the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all. As we transition to the Lord's Supper, thinking about this idea of waiting for mercy, I was reminded of Jude 5. It says this, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, 
who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. This idea of Jesus being the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, our life as Christians, it's very much like the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness. There's this, at the beginning of our spiritual lives, this miraculous salvation moment, whether that was uh, you as a Presbyterian have always been a Christian, that's a miracle that you, that's, you were raised that way or you were saved from some wayward lifestyle. Listen, you had that, that moment and then we're waiting for mercy at the end, but we have this long journey in front of us to contend for the faith. And so as they did in the wilderness, we run into distractions along the way. At times I know I feel like, well, how are we gonna make it? (laughs) But the same God that rained bread from heaven in their need, the same God that fed the 5,000, he provides us the Lord's Supper. And so here we have a moment at the end of each service where we can go to get the thing we need. Now, it's not about physical nourishment. You're gonna get one cubic centimeter of bread, so it's not gonna fill you up, all right? What's it about? Spiritual nourishment. It's a reminder that we go back to the source of our need. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so when we come this morning and we eat and we drink, we're not having a snack. It's barely that. We're feasting on Jesus Christ's presence in his life, the power of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ in our need. And so this morning, what is our only hope? That The amount of Jesus we have now sustains us to the end and he promises that it will. So if you believe that you're a sinner, that you have that desperate need, that you believe that Jesus is the only thing that meets that need, you've made that profession, you've been baptized, you've confessed your sins this morning, know that first of all, you've been forgiven, know that Jesus Christ invites you not on your own worth, but on his. Come without money and buy. If you don't believe these things, if you deny the work of God and Jesus, you deny the, the, the worth, the significance of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the scriptures make it clear, this is not the time to come and eat some bread and drink some wine or juice. In fact, it makes no sense for you to do so. And so we would say, as a church, as Paul commands us in Corinthians, that we would ask you not to participate this morning, if that's where you're at. If I could get, um, oh yeah, prayer blessing. Let me pray for us, okay? And then I'll invite some elders forward to help me distribute. Father in heaven, one thing is for sure in this place this morning and everyone watching over the internet, we all have one thing in common our struggles in life may not be the same. Our worries certainly may not be the same. The things nagging our conscience may not be the same. But we all have one thing in common, the same thing, our desperate, absolute need for Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we signify your free gifting of yourself to us in the Lord's Supper, the broken bread, your broken body, the cup 
of juice or wine, your shed blood, all done to be with us, to regain the relationship we've had, we were designed for at creation and lost in our sin. We need you. We have the other thing in common too, Lord, which is you are accessible to all of us by faith. I pray that you'd wake that up in our hearts this morning, that we would come and eat, or those who do not know you would this morning begin considering the ramifications of not knowing Jesus, a savior, a judge first, a savior second, who has made a way. Bless us in this supper. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.